Welcome to an Inform Live Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming to CHD TV. So glad you could be with us here today. With me is Javier Figueroa, PhD. He's joining me from Washington State. Um, a lot of you know that I am now physically in Tennessee, and I'm, I'm working very hard here in the state of Tennessee about medical freedom and informed consent issues. But I have not abandoned Washington State. I'm still on the board of Informed Choice Washington, still hosting an Informed Life radio. Um, friends, family, loved ones are still in Washington State, where I was born and raised, and I will not abandon her. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. How you doing, Javier? Doing great. It's a sunny day here in Seattle, so I can't complain. Good. Yeah, it's a beautiful day here, about 80, low 80s, and it's just amazing. Had snow last week and 80 this week. That's spring in Tennessee. <laughs> Yeah. So um, we've got a great show today. And to maximize the amount of time we're going to spend on our subject, I'm going to go ahead and bring our guests on now. Perfect. We have, um, yeah, we've got Dr. Michael um, Gaeta, who's coming on. He's been on the show. It's been a long time, though. It's been a long time. Welcome, doctor. Great to be here again. Thank yeah. You um, he is my go-to expert on so many subjects from informed consent to natural healing, a lot of aspects of, of COVID, but it, so much beyond. Um, and we'll talk uh, more about that at the end of the show. And even when he's not here in the next hour, um, a lot of good things going on. And then um, also bringing on today, Dr. Zaina Carver, who is in Washington State. Hi, Dr. Carver. So glad to have you here. Hello there. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you, you've got a, na a neighborhood dog um, <laughs> deciding he wants to be on the radio today. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what I would love to do now, both of you um, have great experience in the realm of, of health, of nutrition, uh, you have great experience reading studies, reading the science, looking at the data, doing analysis, um, trying to bring some objective view of, of what's going on um, and bring that information to the public. And I so admire you for that. Last night, the Washington State Department of Health did an hour-long webinar. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and share with our audience a little bit here just to show the image of what it was oops let's see webinar there we go oh, that one so if um listeners and viewers would like to go to chd.tv and look on their events page look for the washington state doh webinar what parents need to know about COVID-19 vaccines for children under five, for children under five. This was the focus yesterday, last night, an hour long webinar um, where they discussed um, this, these issues here. So what we're going to be doing today, stop sharing that. 
Um, we've got some video clips of this event that we're going to, we're going to talk about. Um, and I guess with, I guess we'll just go ahead and get started unless anybody has any questions. Okay. So we'll, let's just go ahead and start with Dr. Dunn. Uh, clip number one, Nathan, if you could pull that one up for us. It's, there's a whole lot of things that, uh, that I've found that people want to know about these vaccines for children. The questions I get asked most often have to do with safety of the vaccine. Uh, the experience that everyone has had watching vaccines be uh, researched and produced and rolled out for use so quickly uh, has caught a lot of people off guard because it's not something that they're very used to. And, uh, and I think that uh, they have an intuitive sense that, that somehow, if that's what's happening, that there must be something that's being skipped. There must be something that's overlooked that this isn't being done with the same rigor and care that it normally would be. I think probably the most important thing to know about the vaccine uh, is, uh, as, as you heard before, there's, there's a need for it. Um, this isn't something that's being done just as a knee-jerk. Uh, young kids, while they generally do better with uh, COVID, can get very sick. And this uh, is something that we're hoping will be an effective uh, way to handle that. Uh, as far as whether or not it's safe, the, uh, the truth is that although everything was done on an accelerated timeline, the acceleration in those timelines for research of the vaccine largely involved Making, uh, making it possible to cut out dead time between the different steps of vaccine research. And much of that is the time that it takes to follow up on effectiveness data. The processes that they used to look at safety data when producing these vaccines was very much the same as what's always been used. And the sizes of the vaccine studies are similar to the ones that we've often seen. In fact, some of the earlier studies are bigger than any vaccine studies I've ever seen. Um, I think I think the most important thing to know is that most of us have kids as well, and most of us uh, think along these lines, and this isn't something that any of us would want to recommend if we weren't absolutely certain that this was going to be both safe, effective, and uh, really the judicious thing to do for your children and for your community. All righty. Who would like to go first? <laughs> <laughs> Where do you start? Yeah, go ahead, Dr. Gaeta. Well, there's um, that was a an excellent delivery of standard propaganda, um, which is that the vaccines have been uh, these aren't vaccines these these genetic modification experimental injections um, have been extensively tested. It was literally forty three days initially from the sequencing of the original. COVID, the SARS-CoV-2 bioweapon, the Wuhan bioweapon. Uh, it was 43 days from the when the genome was sequenced till they had an injection in somebody's arm. Uh, so to claim that this was, you know, every, all they did was cut dead time between phases is an absolute, you know, fallacy. That's just misinformation. Uh, there's no possible way, you know, if, if they were telling the truth, they would admit that uh, typical vaccine safety trials are multi-year trials, uh, ideally. Uh, and as usual, there was no inert placebo uh, in this case. Uh, and 
and then you know he glossed over this the fact that the uh, risk to children of death from COVID is statistically zero. Uh, it's 0. 0.000 something, but it's very very low and far below that of the typical annual flu. So and also glossed over the fact that the the none of the vaccines available in the United States or injections uh, for COVID. Um, are FDA approved. So uh, he just kind of conveniently left out the fact that all of the injections are still only EUA emergency use authorization injections. Uh, he skipped over the fact that, that the mortality risk is statistically zero and that there are effective treatments available and uh, completely ignored the post-marketing surveillance data in VAERS. Uh, which is horrifying, uh, where we have uh, as more than the adverse effects from 30 years of 96 licensed vaccines, we have exceeded those number of adverse events in a little over a year with four injections. So, you know, it, it was just, it, that was just a straight up unadulterated PR propaganda. Here's how we're selling this thing to you. And we're a bunch of doctors assuring you of perfect safety, efficacy, and necessity yeah. while, you know, conveniently omitting all of the unfitting facts of the situation. The, the adverse effects of children uh, are far worse from these experimental injections than they are from COVID. So that's just a beginning at it, but there, there's yeah. just so many things wrong. Yeah. Uh, what the doctor, you know, laid out uh, in that little propaganda piece. So uh, a couple of things I want to touch on before we move to Dr. Carver. Um, it was my understanding that after pressure from organizations such as ICANN mm. to the FDA, that saline, some saline control trials did occur. Okay. H however, the phase three trials, you know, after what was it, two months? They looked at a small sampling of, of the people in the trial, decided, oh, they look great. Let's go ahead and give it emergency use authorization, mm -hmm. at which point they unblinded the study and offered the vaccine to everybody who was getting the placebo. Mm -hmm. So um, so I think that we, you know, I tried to be as accurate as I can here. So no, there were no completed saline trials Um that they're, you know, and in fact, the FDA um, a month or so ago officially told vaccine manufacturers um, that because these products have been used in so many people and and they're so safe and effective, we don't think it's practical for you to provide us any more data on mm -hmm. your saline placebo arms. Mm -hmm. Absurd, right? Yep. And without that, you know, and, and the the attempt to get a shot in every arm, you know, if everybody in the world smoked, you can't prove that smoking causes cancer because you have no control group. <laughs> and, yep. you know, it's sort of what they're, uh, they're attempting to do here. And then one other point I really want to make, I, because I really feel very strongly that the vast majority of people in public health, such as Dr. Den, who was speaking, believe what they are saying. For sure. It's, it's a religion to them that is cult-like. Yeah. And 
it doesn't matter how much science otherwise that doesn't fit his narrative that you tell him it doesn't sink in. Mm -hmm. Um, I have worked with these people, attended meetings, had personal conversations with them for years now. Um, They're nice people in, (laughs) in person, but they are so dedicated to the idea that if it's called a vaccine and the FDA has um, put it out there for us to use, that they know what they're doing. And um, anybody who says anything otherwise must be ignored. So Dr. Carver, what are your thoughts about that opening gambit? I think you both covered it very, very well. And I agree with both of you 100%. There's just one more point that I want to draw our at least elaborate on just a little bit. And that has to do with how he covered, how he said that they went through all the appropriate safety testing. When it typically takes 10 to 15 years for a vaccine to come out onto the market, and we can do this process in six to eight months, that right there tells you not so much that steps were skipped, but that they are so overlapped and ongoing that we didn't have appropriate information from the phase two clinical trials to go to the phase three or from the phase one to go to the phase two. And the other problem I have with that, which is very misleading, is that they're classified as a vaccination, but it's more like a gene therapy, mm-hmm. which meant that the, the routine toxicity tests were minimal and completely inadequate, especially for something that could have severe genotoxicity. So that's all I wanted to say on that one. Okay, and that's very good. Um, one point to what you're saying When you do a deep dive, and I encourage um, listeners and viewers, go to ICANDecide.org, ICANDecide.org, and look for their white papers on childhood vaccines. Um, Because, yes, it is true that that most vaccines take eight years on average or so to make it through the full investigation and, and move to licensing. That's for the efficacy trials. The safety trials are horrifically short, yes. sometimes a matter of days. And you can find that on the vaccine insert. The, the safety trials that led to licensing, the clinical trials, sometimes it's three days, sometimes it's three weeks. Um, the most I have seen on the, the whole pyramid of what is on the pediatric schedule is um, six months for unsolicited. Um, I've got that somewhere. I'll see um, a bit later if I can try to pull up the the information that I'm talking about. It's in the white papers. Mm -hmm. So safety has always been, um, it has been an issue. That's why there was a massive vaccine safety reform movement um, underway that was not getting any attention until COVID Mm -hmm. because of the lack of that. There would be longer safety trials in adults Usually, if the if the vaccine was not ever going to target children, because vaccines for adults only don't fall under the liability shield of the 1986 Act. And so sometimes they took a little bit more care there because they knew they were open to lawsuits as yeah. soon as these products hit the market. And it's um, actually worse than that. And it's actually worse than that. The animal safety studies that were done were below minimal. I would actually I would even say that it was uh, it was criminal to the neglect that they had for doing the animal studies. The animal studies that were actually done were done in Japan due to the request by the Japanese Ministry of Health to carry out those studies. And normally what you would do is, what they were doing is they had a luciferase expression system in the nanoparticles. 
What they should have done is had two arms, one with a reporter to find out where everything went, and one with the active ingredient to see what sort of effect it had. And the problem with that, of course, is that this is a humanized coronavirus. So again, you're looking for the general toxicity of the delivery system. And if there's general toxicity from the mRNA itself and the production of the protein, that gives you secondary and tertiary uh, assay systems. They didn't do that. They just tested to see if the nanoparticles were the toxic components. They never tested to see if mRNA was toxic in itself. So to say that they actually did everything in an accelerated pace is an absolute improvable lie. There is mm -hmm. no other word for it. It is a lie that they did all the proper safety procedures. And that's yeah. my two bits. Thanks. All right. All right. Well, let's move on to another recording. Um, Nathan, let's, let's just go ahead and pull up number two, because this is where I think the, I would definitely echo what um, Dr. Dunn just uh, said so eloquently. Uh, I think for many people, the importance is that this technology has existed long before uh, the need for the vaccine. And this is not new technology. This existed. We've done other kinds of things, science in the same way. So that I think is important for people to know to, to assuage some concerns. The um, efficacy is very effective, of course, in children up to the age of, I mean, after the age of five, and we have not seen the major side effects that people were anticipating. Uh, I know from my practice that um, I can probably, in the hundreds of patients I see in the course of uh, uh, just even a few days, that uh, I might have in two years time seen maybe two people who, two kids over the age, uh, more in the teenage end, who might've had some possible side effects that never even amounted to anything. So um, the science is there, the research has been done and, uh, the efficacy in older people has been shown to be very good. All righty. Um, go ahead, Javier, because that's what you were just talking about that, you know. I, I, I am utterly floored by how good the marketing has been by Moderna yep. and Pfizer and the Department of Health at both the federal and state level, because that is an absolute and utter load of horse manure. <laughs> Know. It's really hard to just stay professional in your response when it's so uh, over the top blatantly. It's blatant. I've just, I'm right now on the US FDA uh, website, and basically, a lot of what they call gene therapy is actually used to modify cells that they'll inject into people that have been modified by gene therapy. This is the first in kind gene therapy where you inject something that will be expressed in your cells. This is the first of its kind. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they, they're saying, oh, we're doing it, it's safe and all that, it's an utter, it's uh, untrue. Yeah, right. And even if we were to be very generous and say, well, mRNA technology and lipid nanoparticles and other things had existed in the past, which, right, I agree with you, Javier, shaking your head, but you put them all together. But go look up the science on lipid nanoparticles. It is a toxic substance to inject. And you read the scientists, they conclude in these studies of these lipid nanoparticles saying, um, well, we hold out hope that we may someday be able to use these, but for now the autoimmune disorders and the blah, blah, blah that they trigger, you know, 
that technology is far from safe and effective. It is still in its infancy and it may never be something that you can safely inject into human beings. So yeah, on so many levels. Right. And, and, you know, the, and the other piece, I appreciate that Javier is, is, is the forcing the body cells on a persistent basis. We now have the data that this is persistent spike protein production. You're forcing the body to produce a foreign protein and a lot of it and persistently you know one of my specialties is autoimmune disease and that just can't go well uh the uh, the spike protein resulting from the messenger rna is uh similar is very similar to at least 28 body cell types so through what we call molecular mimicry or cross reactivity the likelihood that the antibodies produced to spike or cross-react with healthy body cells is very high. Um, and so this whole thing, like we've done this for a long time. Uh, this is old hat, basically. I mean, I really hear what you're saying, Bernadette. I mean, it's really, uh, these are not scientists. These are cult members. Yeah. And they're just repeating the cult um, line without yeah. considering any other evidence. Yeah. Uh, this is the narrative. This is the only narrative. And everything else needs to, as you said, needs to be ignored or criticized or canceled or whatever. If they were really doing, if they actually had an interest in science um, they and, and health and not just the narrative, uh, they would objectively present all of the information. Well, mm-hmm. here's all the safety data we have post-surveillance from VAERS and, uh, and other you know, surveillance systems. And, you know, here is the increase in myocarditis in children. Here is the, you know, because the, the side effects have been astonishing. And if it was anything other than a vaccine, you, you, you said it well, uh, Bernadette, because you stick the label of vaccine on it, it suddenly, it, it suddenly becomes, once you label anything a vaccine, mm-hmm. it suddenly becomes perfectly safe, effective, and necessary, regardless of any available data. And that's exactly what's happened here. This is the most catastrophic and dangerous injection that has ever been unleashed on the human population by far. Yes. You have to ignore vast swaths of data um, to even consider any other uh, possibility. So, you know, th- this webinar they did was just clearly a, you know, straight up, you know, propaganda, you know, it was, it was a sales session. It was not giving, here's all the data. And since they're experimental, they need to be entirely voluntary. There must be informed consent with any intervention, but especially Mm -hmm. experimental ones. You know, it's just, uh, you know, I've been teaching medical ethics over the last 26 years nationally. I've just never seen anything like this. How dangerous does a shot have to be yeah. for them to even to acknowledge it? How ineffective does a shot have to be before yeah. they'll admit it's, it's ineffective? This is the danger of decades of a federal policy of um, hiding all risk in order to prop up confidence in vaccine programs so that the players, all the systemic players throughout public health in this whole system that has no checks and balances, 
you don't speak up, you don't criticize, you don't think, you don't analyze, you don't push back at all. That has to go. We need a red team as they have in the military. We need a team yep. who, who thinks at all stages. Uh, Dr. Carver, any comments on this? I just want to thank you for adding this because that's where I wanted to take the last question. Out of everything that was said, this one statement is the one that angered me the most. To mm -hmm. say that this technology has been well tested and out on the market is such a blatant lie. Yes, we've had early forms of this technology used for other applications, but this particular formulation, its composition, how it's produced is absolutely untested and new and just because and, and this is something in general they do the chemical switching game you change the structure just slightly and give it a different name and then now all of a sudden a chemical let's take bpa for instance if it's proven harmful harmful so you move on and you test bps and bp all of these different bpa uh, derivatives until you find one that's a little bit safer and then automatically assume it's safe it's mm -hmm. not that way. So if you've mm -hmm. had concerning safety tests with some of the similar technology, the lipid nanoparticles, um, mm -hmm. or the mRNA delivery, which was never very effective until they found a way to stabilize it and get it across cells better, you can't just use prior tests to say that it's safe. It's an entirely mm -hmm. new ballgame. And we could question. be dealing with new toxicity concerns and safety concerns that we've never seen before. So that, to me, is the biggest lie out of the whole thing that I heard. Mm -hmm. Yes, agreed. Um, shall we move on and hear some more? Um, <laughs> Keep the hits coming. Yeah. So, um, Nathan, let's hear number four, please. I think Dr. Dunn made some really great points around um, the more of us that are vaccinated, the more we're protecting everyone, including people who can't yet be vaccinated or even those who are vaccinated um, and may be immunocompromised and still at risk for severe disease. Um, I can also tell you, I have two kids that were in the, the most recent group to become eligible, five and 11. Uh, so they're the, the bounds of that age group. And it um, brought so much comfort um, and assurance to us as parents and to our family about our ability to be more engaged in society, to visit their grandparents who live out of state. So we have to travel to do that. Um, and, you know, continue to go to school with less worry about getting sick. And, you know, in the event that they might get COVID at some point, they're we all know that they're very unlikely to become severely ill, as Dr. Dunn uh, just, you know, very eloquently described. So uh, both their um, contribution to helping do something greater for society in terms of managing this pandemic and protecting the healthcare system for those who need it, and then also our families' confidence uh, that they will be um, likely to not get severely ill if they do get COVID are great benefits of vaccinating children. <laughs> I, I feel sorry for Lacey and I, you know, I hate picking on, you know, civilians as it were, but she works for the Department of Health and there we go. The double speak. We yep. get it to protect ourselves and protect other people, but if we do infect other people, it won't be so severe because, you know, the shots don't keep you from getting it or from spreading it, but it makes us feel safe. Yep. Um, and then if we do get it and what? Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, okay, all of them, I'm screaming at the <laughs> webinar last night thinking, okay, <laughs> even if what you were saying is true, which we know it's not, in four months, then what? Hello, it wanes in four months. And then, I mean, how many a year are you going to get? I mean, okay. Yeah. 
I'll be quiet. So um, who wants to go first? Now we go to see grandma. Now yeah. we get to see grandma. Well, you know, I was I was about to say, you know, because you asked the question, Bernie, that how many people have, how many children have to be injured or killed by these experimental injections until something changes? And I was about to say when one of their kids is killed or injured by the injection. But now I realize that wouldn't even matter because, oh, that was COVID. Right? Oh, that, that was something else. Oh, that was a coincidence or that would have happened anyway. Or they might so believe if you're that deeply entrenched in your no. worship of no. of the product, the pharmaceutical product no. with a V on it, then you might think it was a sacrifice worth. Took one for the team. Took one for the team. I mean, no. really, you're hearing remarks of people whose children have been harmed who just say, well, you know, we did it for the team and we know. But I mean. Obviously, it's so devastating with these shots that there are others who completely have their eyes opened when it happens, um, when it happens to them. But treatments exist. I mean, all of this, you know, there, there's another clip. I don't know if we'll get to it where Dr. Dunn absolutely denies that there's any treatments that exist. And this is the only mm -hmm. hope. Yep. And that is so infuriating because all, yep. of, all of the children who end up in the hospital um, they could have had their severe disease avoided, most likely, had they been put on like the FLCCC protocol or one of the other excellent protocols being given ivermectin, um, vitamin C, D, zinc. Um, yeah. Yeah. And this is so important, uh, Bernadette, that, you know, uh, the, the, our concern, uh, we're not going to ever change, as you pointed out, we're, ne we're never going to change any of these people's minds. Mm -hmm. because they're cult members and they've drunk the Kool-Aid and whatever you want to say. My, my concern, I think all of us here, our concern is with those of uh, those parents and those who actually are willing to think for themselves and ask mm -hmm. questions. Mm -hmm. It's the unwillingness to ask questions, which defines science. All science begins with a question. Um, and uh, and then goes on to observation and such, and then ask more questions. Um, the, the point for parents is there, there are key essential points. One is that there hasn't been a medical emergency for, you know, conservatively a year and a half. About that time, the death risk uh, became less than that of the typical annual flu. Secondly, that that it's not a binary solution. Either you get a vaccine, so-called, or die, right? Um, and, you know, the, the data, now we have all this data from the last almost year and a half that there is, and even according to, you know, government data, uh, these injections do not prevent infection. They do not prevent transmission. So there's the you know, I'm not going to get sick. I'm going to protect everyone else and protect the herd. That goes out the window. And we have at best a mild reduction in symptoms. And, you know, I want to underline the point you made. None of these injections, the reason they suppressed the effective treatments was so that the EUA could be granted. You can't get an emergency use authorization if there are other effective treatments available. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether it's in conventional medicine or with ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, whether it's in you know my specialty of natural medicine, there are very, very effective preventatives and treatments available. But all of that had to be suppressed 
Um, and, you know, I just had a conversation a couple weeks ago with Paul Merrick and his horrifying experience of watching patients die because in the hospital because he wasn't allowed mm-hmm. to treat them after yeah. he had saved thousands of lives. They yeah. had to do that. So parents need to know their, if they do nothing, the child's risk of serious illness or death is near zero. Secondly, there are effective prophylactic or preventative measures available. They're extremely safe. And if the kid gets sick, no bigs, their, you know, again, their risk of serious illness is near zero and there are effective treatments available. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the injections, again, do not prevent infection, do not prevent transmission. Yeah. And the risk profile is horrifying in yeah. terms of how many uh, children uh, have been injured or killed. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point. I want to remind listeners, um, if you haven't already, find yourself a fantastic practitioner such as Dr. Gaeta. He's not in Washington State, though. So if you're in Washington, you, you don't get to go to him. But find yourself a wonderful practitioner who you are aligned with and your approach to health and healing before your kids get sick. Go have some consultations. Find out how to optimize your child's immune system, keep them healthy, figure out what treatment um, avenues you will take if your child gets sick with any illness. Because the, the worst time to decide what to do is when your child's got 103 fig- fever and are throwing up, right? You, you want to have made that decision beforehand and have that professional to guide you. Um, we do not minimize for those for whom flu, COVID, anything is serious, it is serious. Mm-hmm. We do not minimize that. We don't want anybody to die. We don't want anybody to die of the response to COVID, the COVID injections, or COVID itself, or whatever else is out there making people ill. We quick question. Want... Go ahead. Sorry. It's a quick question. So, uh, and, and, I, I, and again, this is just my my ignorance on the pro, on, on, on the on the makeup of the board of health in this particular group, does anyone know what the relationship is? Like, for example, I saw Kaiser Permanente, Seattle Children's Hospital, Board of Health. What sort of relationship do they have with Pfizer, with Moderna, hmm. with with HHS? Hmm. Because there's so much. I'm sorry to say this. There's so much cross interaction with so many yeah. committees. What is the conflict of interest? Do they actually have? No conflict of interest, a little bit, a lot. I don't know if that's something that you've looked up, uh, Dr. Carver. It's a great um, question, Dr. Gaeta. No, yeah, great question. No. What a great question. Yes. Um, from my experience, um, it, it's severe. Now, I it's haven't severe, looked up okay. these particular individuals. Um, I'm trying to remember with Dr. Dunn what he has served. He has been on the Department of Health Vaccine Advisory Committee. He may still be serving on that. He's not on the the Board of Health, but he's usually called in for anything vaccine related to give his advice. And he's often interviewed by the uh, media, um, that sort of thing. Now, I don't quote me here. I think that he is one who has gone to Atlanta to the ACIP meetings. you know, but when you look this up, there's the overlap. They're all on the same boards, committees, mm. all of that. Um, it looks like we have a phone call. Shall we go ahead and take a phone call from uh, Sabina from Idaho? Sure. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and bring Sabina on. Are you there? I am here. Hi. Um, 
Thank you for taking my call. Um, You're welcome. Ask a really kind of it's it, it's not an easy question to ask, um, and give a a couple of real examples so you know what it is I'm asking. Um, I'm I'm very much with Dr. Gator um, in my awareness about all of this that you're speaking about, which I really appreciate everything you've brought. Um, that about the point where, where, where you're talking about even when people start to have their children um, harmed tremendously by the so-called vaccines, um, then they will interpret that as having been as having been COVID. Um, and I understand the cognitive dissonance that's involved, the, you know, the, the degree of fear that people have um, that causes them to be blind. And I understand the frame of reference that people come from is so deep that it can't see beyond that. Um, but I live in a little town. I have for some time lived in little towns and there, this is the first example. There's a, there are some very uh, effective and people that I, you know, respect uh, PAs that function as primary care here. And um, the one has a sister that works in a bigger city hospital and very sincerely believes the sister's interpretation that the people that were unvaccinated in that hospital were the ones that were getting much, much sicker. That's their experiential uh, uh, communication. And so, and, and then going by that, which she sincerely believes, she stands behind the, the whole, you know, mandated vaccinations and masks and all that. And then, uh, second example is in a small hospital here, people that I knew, the, the wife died in hospital during one of the times when that was happening a lot, um, and she had wanted nothing to do with the vaccine, and the husband had been fully vaccinated and survived. And, you know, these were not unhealthy people. Um, mm -hmm. And so, of course, the belief is that she died of COVID and she died because she wasn't vaccinated. Yeah. And my question is, is there a way to make the connection with people when it's, it's so hard to, you know, what Dr. Gaeta said just now was there's no way to change people's minds. But there are people that are, that sincerely are, are not having this insight and that that are intelligent people and mm -hmm. is there a way to make that connection how do you do that how to communicate about that that's that's a really good question thank you for bringing these examples to us and i'm going to have the um the doctors here speak but i, I just want to say that what can be really difficult is when you've got an illness that can be fatal in some people um, such as the woman who died, who was not vaccinated, but her vaccinated husband didn't die, right? That seems to support that vaccination works. But, you know, 
that story has to fit in the context of the big picture of everything. Um, did the woman get ivermectin? Did she get proper treatment protocols? What, you know, there's just, it's, it's such a complex issue that everything has to be looked at individually. I take mm-hmm. great pride in our community because we try very hard to be as factual as possible and not assign or blame things that aren't at fault or whatever, right? COVID has killed people. We, you know, we're not trying to say it doesn't. Um, and, you know, so I, I think what can be really hard, you're really asking about how to open their minds when it feels like everything in their world is showing them that their worldview is correct, right? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that, that's, I mean, Dr. Gaeta and Dr. Carver, I feel like that's just going to be a journey of time for some of them. If their life experience is very immersed in what they're witnessing, fits the narrative, it will be a lot harder for them and a lot longer as truth becomes revealed of what's going on. What do you think? Mm Thank you. Yeah, I mean, for sure. We we call that in in research, we call that confirmation bias. You'll tend to find evidence that supports your perspective. Uh, And, you know, I just want to be clear, and thank you for calling in, Sabina. Uh, Every death is tragic. People have died from, from from the bioweapon and its variants that have followed. Uh, and every death is tragic. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, the human tragedy of that is, is significant uh, and is, is a real thing. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't mean to imply that, no, we can't ever change anybody's mind, uh, but that folks will fall into two groups, you know, one folks, one group, and, and you know, what you pointed out, what's been pointed out about fear, you know, just, physiologically when a person's afraid they stop thinking they're not thinking rationally when they're afraid and so the the fear of a bug has been you know the primary driver of behavior because you know when folks are in a state of chronic fear they don't oh well let's logic this out let's reason this out let's look at all the perspectives let's look at all the data that's not happening Uh, and yet there are more and more people every day who are questioning the official narrative, which is you either get the injection or you die or are a menace to society, which has been the old vaccine sales, you know, kind of marketing pitch for decades. Like you're mm-hmm. you're a bad person that's endangering society if you don't get every imaginable recommended vaccine. Uh, and so they've just continued the playbook here. Um, but there are more and more people every day who are open to say, well, you know, I'm hearing different things. Let me just look at it and see, you know, what makes sense to me, which is really what we would want. Uh, but the hospital protocols, you know, for, for COVID have been really quite primitive, we'll just say, um, and really have not taken into account all of the available treatment options. Bernadette mentioned a few things, but, you know, for folks who are seriously ill, you know, the hospital might be a useful place for them to be, but statistically over the course of the last two years, uh, there's been just a lot of problems and yeah. you know, thousands of people dying because of the hospital treatment. And so, you know, and the other, you know, the other key thing is, you know, the, the, the whole epidemic of the unvaccinated line that the current 
president spouted that piece of propaganda back in December. You know, it's going to be a dark winter for the unvaccinated. They're going to drop like flies. Uh, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Nice little sound bites. But now we have so much data that's actually the opposite. That's true. If we look at data from England, if we look at data from Israel, the vast majority of serious illness, hospitalization, and death has been in the fully vaccinated and boosted and all the rest of it. And one of the ways, one of the line with statistics methods they did to do that was that a person is considered unvaccinated for 14 days, and in some cases, 28 days, but typically 14 days after vaccination. So if you get an injection today and you die in three days in the hospital of, of injection injury, you are counted as a COVID death. Oh, they died of COVID. How terrible was that? Because you're not even considered vaccinated uh, until at least two weeks post-vaccination. And 45% of the people who were killed by the injections are killed within 48 hours. So it's a very clever way to hide, you know, a boatload of vaccine injury and murder or death post-vaccination <laughs> by considering everybody two weeks post-injection to be unvaccinated. So there's just been a lot of lying with statistics, and I know it doesn't make it into the mainstream media, um, but, you know, uh, what, what I'm hopeful, because more and more people are asking questions, waking up questioning the narrative, looking at other sources of information, such as is presented here. Um, and I'm very hopeful about that. And that's why vaccine demand has tanked. And so now they're looking for new markets. Let's get the little kids. Let's get the five to 11. Uh -huh. Let's get the under five. Well, uh, yeah. Like, and we know. know, we know the move into children is because when they transition out from under the liability shield of the PREP Act, they want to be under the 1986 Act. Um, and we know they've got billions of doses of this stuff sitting in warehouses and, and sure. it's, it's going bad. I mean, the mRNAs have to be stored at cold temperatures. They never even talk about that anymore. It was such a big yeah. deal in the beginning. But, you know, you've got to think about that. Yeah, um, I, I've got one more clip I want to play. And um, Nathan, could you pull up number uh, 15 for me, please? Yeah, 15. The truth is for something like this, this is something where the benefit to risk ratio is, uh, is so clear that there's not much question in my mind uh, that, that this is an appropriate thing to do for my child uh, and for yours. If, you know, as I said before, if your child's the one that this happens to, that is devastating. And I have witnessed that with other vaccine preventable diseases. Um, the truth is, if, if I thought to myself, well, I'll take the risk that my child's not going to get COVID and that if they do, they're not going to get seriously ill and they're not going to have permanent lasting sequelae from it um, and I won't get them vaccinated. And if it turned out that I guessed wrong and they, they wound up permanently devastated as a result of something that I could have prevented, that's not something I could possibly live with. Um, and, uh, and that's the way I think. I never ask patients to do anything that I wouldn't personally do for myself or for my family. And, I, and this is something that I absolutely had us do. Yeah, thanks, John. I think those are great points. It's important to remember that COVID-19 severe disease and death is absolutely preventable through vaccination now. Um, Tao, what are your thoughts? 
Well, I, I know it seemed like uh, uh, we've been saying for a long time, oh, a vaccine for kids uh, six months uh, uh, through four years is just around the corner. It seems like we've been saying that for a long time. And I know it's been a long wait. You know, families are, are really, really eager to get their youngest kids vaccinated. And, and, and so are we. Um, but I think the time that it's taken um, shows that the testing and approval process, you know, it's not just a rubber stamp. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's better to wait and to make sure that the data has, uh, has really been reviewed carefully and that we can really feel confident about the safety effect effectiveness. Um, it's far better to wait for a final approval of a vaccine that we can feel really confident in than to rush through the process. And then in retrospect, wish we had taken more time to, uh, to, to, to study the vaccine and its effectiveness and side effects. So, so the vaccine for kids under five is coming. Um, it's it's uh, taken longer than we all wish it had, but it is coming. And when it does come, I think we can all feel uh, really good about getting our infants and preschoolers vaccinated. Wow, so we've just got um, about five minutes. <laughs> Dr. Carver, thoughts, last thoughts on that and... I'm just in shock. I'm so in shock that he actually talked about a risk-benefit ratio. When we have been discussing, there's no benefit. I mean, if your vaccine doesn't protect you, how does it protect me? How does my vaccine protect you? Uh, and, and then as far as risks, uh, both known and unknown, I have no idea how he can say that other than it's very deceptive. It's extremely deceptive. What he's doing is playing on people's fear that COVID is much worse than any side effects from the vaccine. But if you get online and you look up real, not rare, you can see hundreds of thousands of accounts from people who have been damaged by the vaccine. And this is such a, a horrible deception to make parents so afraid of this virus that has less than a zero risk um, or presents that to healthy children. Why would you do this to parents? He's trying to scare them into this and pretending like it's the only option. When we know that it's not only unnecessary, but ineffective and extremely risky. Exactly. Thank you. Um, Dr. Gaeta. Yeah. You know, if your eyes are closed, <laughs> right. you know, it's just, uh, it's, I don't have a lot to add other yeah. than, you know, it's it's just um, all evidence to the contrary yeah. is not even going to be considered, you know. So yeah. again, tell our, us, our focus is yeah. Well, I was going to say, tell us, take this opportunity here to tell us about your ongoing class um, that discusses vaccinosis and some of these other issues, if you could. Yeah, we just started uh, at the Gate Institute for Holistic Health Education here. It's a it's a MichaelGata.com. And by the way, about you know, 85% of my practice is virtual. Uh, so I, I work with patients around the world. Um, but at michaelgata.com, uh, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-A-E-T-A, -E -E you'll see right on the homepage, uh, our, our new course just started in COVID vaccinosis, which is how to minimize damage from the injections and also uh, minimize possible injury from being around those who have received the injections. And uh, this is a 15-week course that we just started. Folks can jump in on that. And wanted to give folks who uh, would like to join us a discount on the course for being here today. It's an, it's informed life. 
informed life will uh, will give you a big discount on the course uh, and then you also see information about our other courses um, we have a lot of online education for practitioners and the public and then my clinical practice which again is mostly by phone and video uh, is there too at uh, michaelgata.com thank you so much last word javier um i actually dr carver why don't you give the last word on this i'm, I'm a little too pissed off how about this if you can't question the science it's propaganda so parents don't listen to propaganda go back to the science talk to scientists talk to doctors who are open-minded and who are actually reading the science don't be fooled thank you you yeah thank you so very much and dr carver if you can hang around uh, that would be great but if you got to go i'll understand um you've been listening to an informed life radio on 1150 am kknw we'll be back in a few minutes hi i'm lynn redwood president of the nonprofit children's health defense our chairman robert f kennedy jr and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need somebody to show me. Somebody to show me the love. We need a revolution. Welcome back. 
Welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and we've got Javier Figueroa in the house. And Javier, I think we may still have Dr. Gaeta. Are you still Excellent. Yay. He was able to come back after all. Yeah, um, it worked out. I am here. That's fantastic. Dr. Carver, were you able to pop in a little bit longer too? She had to go. She had to go, but then she wasn't sure. She thought she might be able to come back. Well, Nathan, if she comes back, send her in. Um, So yeah, really interesting first hour. It was, it, it does lead to a lot of hair pulling and a lot of words that you have to bleep out when you hear some of the things they're saying. Um, I, I want to, a couple of things, what Dr. Dunn said in that last clip, if you were to take out, oh, yay, there's Dr. Carver. She came back. Um, if, if you were to replace COVID-19 with a COVID-19 shot in that last comment mm-hmm. that Dr. Dunn made about if you could have done something to prevent your child from, you know, having something horrible happen to them. Well, what do they, I mean, all these parents who are innocently believing what they're being told about these shots, they're being lied to that treatments exist. They're being lied to, you know, and told there's, this is the only hope that they have driven to this choice. And what are they going to do? I mean, I think about um, Maddie DeGarry's mom, um and um oh help me out javier what's his name the dear man uh ramirez who's uh, son? oh i just was on a zoom call with him yes. the other day forgive me but his son was killed um like four or five days he died of um heart inflammation ernest ramirez yes ernest ramirez thank you thank you for that um dear man if he could go back in time and and protect his son in any other way with nutrients, with um, hydroxychloroquine, with ivermectin, um, or just trust the, his healthy son's immune system. Um, you know, life is a gamble. I mean, that's one of the things I didn't play a clip. Um, yes, life is a gamble. Yes, some people may die of infection, but the risk-benefit ratio and parents are not being given the information they need to do full risk benefit analysis for their child. And of course, all four of us here on this show today, we've, we've read enough of the science. We've read enough of the Pfizer data that had to be pulled by court order to be allowed for the public to see, to know that these shots should be pulled. Criminal trials should be held for what's going on. Um, it's, but this, it's a machine. Public health is a monster machine. Um, I just have maybe one or two more clips that I want to play and talk about. And then I want to move into positive thinking. I want to move into hope and healing and ideas that you guys have. And I know you've got a lot of good stuff. So Nathan, could you give us, um, I believe it was number 10, please. Lindsay, nurses are commonly cited as some of the most trusted members of the healthcare team. How do you how do you handle these discussions with parents express concerns about potential long-term impact and, and how do you respond to their concerns? Uh, well, I, I think Lacey addressed some of those and, and the long-term effects is I think is I rely upon science. I rely upon data. And I always refer back to the fact that uh, nothing would be released without. Uh, 
going through a rigor, rigorous testing uh, through the CDC and the FDA that no medication in the past has gone past, uh, gone released to the public without uh, effective testing. And that we would not, and I as a provider would never administer a medication that I don't think is going to be safe and effective as well. Uh, I'd like to corroborate with what Lacey said as well with, uh, with regards to sort of many of the concerns some of the families have come up with is how many times am I gonna have to give my child a shot? You guys have had already two and a booster and maybe another booster after that. And I assure them that we are still in the process of figuring that all out. And you know, right now, probably at least two shots. Uh, and with much like we do with any other vaccine, when you get your MMR, when you get your Tdap, there are booster booster components to that. Um, and I again go back to the science. I always go back to science and rely upon that information. Well, <laughs> she relies on. So the the question he pitched to her was, "What about long term safety issues?" And of course, those don't that doesn't exist because there's no long term studies because these shots haven't been out around long term, and they shut the phase three clinical trials basically shut them down after two months, and they looked at a couple hundred subset of the people. So what's what data and science is she relying upon th that she trusts? And the and then of course she trusts that the FDA and the CDC are testing these things. But what what she does not acknowledge is that the CDC and FDA do not test vaccines. They accept third um, party data from the vaccine man manufacturer who stands to profit in the billions. They don't do the research. They look at whatever's given to them. I mean, yeah, honor among thieves, I don't know. Um, so it, it's that remark to me was, was so very concerning um, that she just trusts it's safe. If they say it's safe, it's safe, that's it. Yeah. The, the whole system is so corrupt. I'm becoming wordless again. So Dr. Gaeta. Yeah, she, you know, it's um, uh, reminded me of Fauci saying, I am the science. And if, if you question this, if you question me, you're questioning the science. By the way, uh, this past week, um, the pharma kingpin, uh, Fauci, um, uh, admitted that the reason for lockdown is was to get people to accept the vaccines uh, so they can get their life back. He just yeah. said that in an interview just in the he, last week or so. He did. And I, I want to clarify a little bit there. So I yep. try not to take things out of context. It is what you said, but it's a little more complex. I, I, I saw the video and, and I shared it and tweeted because what he said was, we do the lockdowns so that we can give the vaccines to protect the people who are immune, immunologically naive because they were locked down. That's what he said. We lock them down to give them the vaccines because we made them susceptible to disease because we locked them down. Okay. Right. So, you know, he, he and so I think that's an even better 
his quote in full context is is even better than than we're going to lock down people to force them to get the vaccine but he's admitting that locking them down made them more susceptible to the disease and that's why they wanted before they set them free again right i mean this reminds me of the quote by alexander haig we have to burn down the village in order to save it yeah mentality yeah so again that also shows my age so but yeah. other than that yeah <laughs> and you know and and there's so many cancer patients well they killed the cancer but the patient didn't survive you know they cured the cancer but killed the patient <laughs> kind of thing um is so much of that yeah um anyway so I think let's move on to something, unless you guys have some more remarks here about that. What I would love to do, first of all, let's spend a little bit of time um, giving our listeners some data for them to explore. Because, you know, I try to say, okay, no, go do your homework, but where do you go? Um, So a really good place to go is, and I won't share it, I'll just tell you, it's the Brownstone Institute, brownstone.org. A I, it's one. It's my go-to place for two things in particular: natural immunity. Just do a search at brownstone.org for natural immunity, and um, also masks. And they have got some great articles, and these articles are fully cited, hyperlinked to studies, and you can go explore the more than 150 studies on the. Uh, how natural immunity is naturally acquired immunity to SARS-CoV-2 is durable, long lasting, um, superior mm-hmm. to anything the shot can give. And um, and then how the masks don't work and they cause an awful lot of harm, especially in children uh, developmentally um, and, and learning and, and so many um, other things. So brownstone.org is one of my favorite places to go. Um, I'll start with you, Dr. Carver. Do you have a favorite place to go um, find data? If you're if you're beginning to research something about COVID or the COVID shots, is there a place that you go? Yes, but I'm actually drawing blank on that. Can you go to somebody else first and I'll find I it? I can't. Go ahead. Javier, where do you Normally I go to to uh, the uh, Brownstone, Gaeta, Steve Kirsch, um, Jack Lyons-Weiler, Popular uh, Rationalism, mm-hmm. uh, FLCCC, uh, Frontline Doctors. Um, you know, there's there's so many IVM Meta. Oh, spell that. IVM Meta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So basically, they've they've condensed all the clinical trials associated with hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin vitamin D, zinc, all these others, and collated them and put basically a risk ratio or basically is this, does it have a positive effect or a negative effect? And they actually do a fantastic job of saying how many studies, what's the odds ratio, and by by odds ratio. So for example, if you say 50-50, if you're at the 50 point mark, it can go either way. It doesn't show any benefit or any uh, any damage. The further away you go from 0.5 or 50% probability in one direction or the other it's a benefit or uh, an injury so that's that's when we when we start talk about risk ratios that's mm-hmm. basically telling you how much of a benefit or how much of a detriment it is ivm meta is i think one of the one of a, a, a fundamental resource and of course open bears open bears oh i'm going to share the open bears with you uh right now but um 
One of the things I love about Ivy Meta, and I'm glad that you brought that one up, there's the COVID, um, is because it's so many studies, when you read them, they couch them saying vaccines are wonderful at the beginning and the end. But if you actually look at the data or, or it's a drug being tested and you, you're getting author opinion a lot and political opinion and science sway and who's strong arming who. But Ivy Meta just puts up the data and the data is the data. And this is where it falls, right? And so it's it it takes out that human factor that can often screw up the data. So I like that. Um, so I'm sharing with you now the most recent VAERS data, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. This is the federal government system. Open VAERS is a fantastic um, website that pulls from that federal open source in an easy to read way. We are up to 1,237,645 reports of injury being reported following receipt of a COVID shot. 27,349 deaths. This has a handy little tab. If you, this is all VAERS COVID deaths reported. Some of those are not in the United States. If you click on this little tab, it, it'll reduce things down to what has been reported for people living in the United States. That can be important difference if somebody's not believing your figure and they're comparing it to data that got elsewhere. Just look to see if it's only U.S. or if it's all reports to bears. One of the concerning figures I, I look at here, look at the myocarditis is up to 39,177 reports of myocarditis and pericarditis. And as we have discussed on this show, and as some doctors we've interviewed have said, especially Dr. Peter McCullough, myocarditis always leaves scars, always leaves an injury. The heart does not fully repair the way other organs do. It will undermine whoever experiences it, their cardiac health for the rest of their life. We have 50,700 people who have been, have reported they are permanently disabled. Um, and we know that this represents, what, what is the factor, um, Javier? Well, are you familiar with the factor of underreporting? One to 10% is usually what the, what the range is. But I think that, uh, you know, I think this is well-trodden ground, Bernadette, right? We, we know mm -hmm. this. We've been talking about it for many years. I think that what can we do in terms of preventative or recovery and also what we can do in the political front as well, I think is probably a, a good use of our time. I don't know if you if you think that might be a better a better tra a trajectory to move forward on. No, recovery is where we need to go. Let's let's leave our our listeners here. Dr. Carver. Yeah, can I give you my top three? I wasn't ready before. Sorry. Yeah. Truth for oh. Health Foundation is one. Truth for Health. And then Doctors for COVID Ethics. And four is spelled with a number. And then the third one is Canadian COVID Care Alliance. Those are my top three. Oh, I forgot about that one. That's oh, fantastic. Good. Yeah. Right. That's, those are very good. Um, you know what I would love to do is gather these resources. And if you could... Um, 
text them to me or email them to me so I don't forget. And then after this show, listeners, I will do my best sometime this weekend. I will create a new post on informedchoicewa.org and um, and provide you with um, these great resources to explore. Um, and I may just go ahead and add them to our resource page because we have a resource page. There's just so much information out there. It's, it's, an, it's an abundance of uh, of riches here that we have to guide you to. And these are, these are top doctors, scientists, nurses, um, professors, PhDs, you know, you don't have to just trust Bernadette, just um, go here and read and think critically, right? That's what's so important is for us all to, and that's why this show exists. It's in informed life. We want individuals to feel confident that they can go out and read information, take it in and process it, and trust that they can make the right decision for, for themselves and their children. It's There's a big move to make people feel like they can't trust anybody but the experts. And how dare they question the experts or think for themselves. But you can, you should. <laughs> it's called freedom. Uh, and the other is called tyranny, right? <laughs> when you're not allowed to think for yourself. Yeah. So let's then shift away from taxpayer-funded uh, propaganda. <laughs> yeah. I just want to share a page uh, that is sort of a, a page of pages, um, which is our uh, Awake page, which is um, at michaelgata.com slash awake. A-W-A-K-E. And this was, uh, this is our attempt to provide a list of resources. These are the ones that I look at. Uh, I mean, not all of them every day, but, uh, but there, these are um, some of my favorite resources that I have found uh, that have been very useful. Uh, So at michaelgate.com slash awake, you'll see there's 170 websites. Wow. Um, and uh, including the ones we've you know, spoken about today. And, uh, and you'll see, I just updated it um, earlier today. And, <laughs> okay, uh, I was going to say you updated it right now as we are speaking. That's exactly. how efficient Dr. Yeah. Gata is. <laughs> I, I actually did not know about Brownstone. I love it already. So I just added that. Um, but, um, but this is a great, uh, a great resource uh, for people okay. of... Uh, in, in various categories of um, uh, legal issues, physicians, um, citizen activism, you know, uh, there's different categories of things which can be helpful. Um, but uh, those are some of my favorite resources there. I love and that. Yeah, I want to just, just uh, underline something that came up when you showed the, uh, the VAERS data in the kind of VAERS search engine of openvaers.com. The uh, couple of things. One is that McCullough can sit. He, he's pretty generous. He, he's saying that it's underreported by a factor of four to five. So in other words, very conservatively, very conservatively, uh, you can multiply all of the numbers that were seen on open fairs at least by a factor of four. Uh, and that would, I think that's very low, but that's McCullough said, yeah, it's probably four to five times greater than that. The second thing is if you go back to uh, when you put the page up, uh, it's very useful to just toggle 
if you want to put it up again, if you're able to do that, mm -hmm. um, it, it's quite an astounding statistic um, that I had mentioned earlier, but if you can get a visual on it, it can be quite disturbing. Uh, so if you go to the top of the page mm -hmm. and just click on the, the Open VAERS logo at the upper left, and you'll see all adverse reactions. This is from a grand total of 96 vaccines that are licensed by FDA uh, or under emergency use authorization, which are the, you know, the recent you know, COVID injections, um, over 30 years. And so mm -hmm. we're, if we look at 96 vaccines over 30 years, the number is 2.1 million. Now, if you click on the COVID page, yep, then you'll see that well over half of those have happened in the last, you know, less than a year and a half mm -hmm. with four EUA injections. Mm -hmm. That's astounding mm -hmm. um, that, you know, statistically, you know, the, the number of reported adverse reactions. And so the typical criticism, because listeners should know what they'll hear from the, you know, cult members uh, or folks who are just blindly accept the narrative no matter what, is, oh, this is meaningless because it's voluntary. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't matter because it's voluntary. Anybody can submit a report. So this data is garbage. And that's the standard, you know, kind of narrative line or, or that you'll see. This, well, it's true. Anybody can submit a report. But the, the thing, the, this is more than overbalanced by the underreporting. Sure, are all of those 1.2 million reports of injuries and deaths from these experimental injections, are all of them strictly due to the, to the injections? Probably not. But if you multiply the, if you take into factor the underreporting, that mm -hmm. way more than overbalances any adverse effects or deaths that may have been from other causes. So that's just a very important thing to say. The Lazarus report has less than 1% of vaccine injury. So you could, you, know, you could multiply all of these numbers by somewhere between four and 100 mm -hmm. um, and to get you know, a, a better or more accurate idea of what's going on. So we've never seen this before. You know, when, when, uh, when I was a kid and the swine flu vaccine came out in 1976, um, the, you know, they had 56 people die and the, with, with about a third of the country had received the injection, 56 people were reported killed by the injection, and they immediately discontinued the entire program. So now we have, you know, uh, tens of thousands of reported deaths, and it's just being completely ignored. So the amount of, you know, cognitive dissonance, corruption, whatever you want to look at mm -hmm. it, is just so great. Yeah. Uh, and is there is a perfect system? Not at all. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it's it's some of the best data we have, and it's more it gives us more than pause to mm -hmm. immediately put a halt to the injection program until yeah. we investigate these million you know, 1.2 million reports the way we did the way we do with any other class of drug. Yeah. And I, I did a quick search here for tinnitus. That's where you get that awful ringing in the ears that is just unbearable. <clears throat> and it pulled up 20,980. Mm. That's <clears throat> a huge number. 
Now, um, we heard that Dr. Gregory Poland, editor of the journal Vaccine, who's been a vaccine re researcher for a long time, he has reported that he is suffering from severe tinnitus from his shots. <clears throat> and he is calling for more research into the shots. And it has completely altered his life. It's it's crippling to um, when you get the severe tinnitus and um, a dear woman that I know in Washington State who was injured by the Johnson and Johnson um, shot who keeps in touch with me. She's in a support group for people injured in Washington State, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but I believe she said she knew at least seven people who had taken their own lives because they their injuries were so bad and nobody could help them. And they were just they're you know, everything's wiped out. Your savings wiped out. Your insurance is wiped out. You're, you're living in pain and and there's no hope. And one of them was severe tinnitus, just could not bear it any longer. Um, it's it's really tragic what's happening to some of these um, to the lives. So we are going to switch over. How can we help these people? Now, I've got to, yes. Can I add just a quick point before we um, shift gears? Yes. And that is a couple of things. One, I have a teacher who's a friend. She's already seeing three children that have heart conditions now, three children in a fairly small school. And the other point I want to make is that they used V-Safe to say that most of their reactions are mild self-limiting, such as arm pain or fever. Well, this is a very limited app where they're given choices of what they can report. It doesn't include elevated D-dimer. It probably doesn't include chest pain. It is very specific with what it includes, which allows them to say things like, oh, the side effects are mild and limited and yes. temporary, those sort of things, because that's the choices that they're given. All right. I'm ready to move forward. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that was good. That was good. So um, how about the first thing we talk about right now is... For those who are injured and struggling, um, what sources do you know of where we can send people to give help? And as you come up with things, if you know, I'm looking on my phone because I know at the um, at the California Defeat the Mandates event, they gave out a place that you could text. And it was to help um, send money to individuals um, who needed it, who have severe injuries. I'm going to look for that. Does anybody know of any other organizations or where to point people who want to help support um, the injured? No? Not financially, okay. but I know real, not rare. There are lots of support groups for people who are vaccine okay. injured. And that's the best thing that you can do. If you can find a group of people and just help each other, support each other, just let other people know that you're not alone. Even if you have a family member or a friend who's been injured, because it can feel so isolating when they make us feel like these side effects are rare. And then when people get into a discussion group, I mean, there could be millions of people within that group, all just supporting each other and validating each other because it's been swept under the rug. I, that support group, I would say, is probably the first place to start. And one more that I would add is, you know, there's there's now a lot of other what the, what I would call secondary, even tertiary bits of data coming out on, on terms of the how dangerous these uh, shots are. Uh, Ed Dowd used to be a BlackRock uh, financial analyst, and he was talking to several people that work as uh, uh, 
what's the I, I'm trying to remember what the the term is for the uh, the people that actually do the number crunching for life insurance uh, actuarials. That's the word. And then noting that uh, between the ages of 25 and 44, <clears throat> which is considered a you know a safe bet for long-term health and instability, that they were seeing a 25% increase in reported deaths and mm -hmm. payouts. So that's another thing. You know, when you start, you have to actually start looking at different parts of the data sets. You can't rely just on public health. You actually have to rely on people that are putting money down and people that have to pay out for coverage of things like life insurance or health insurance for paying for, you know, these conditions. Because the, the first thing you have to realize is that, you know, money talks. Everything else is just, you know, words. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much for that, Javier. We do know these shots are um, potentially um, reawakening things that people had at bay, um, cancer, autoimmune disorders, and other um, issues like that. I found the website. It's react19.org, and it's the numbers 19, react19.org. It's science-based support for people suffering from long-term COVID-19 vaccine effects. And there is a place on this where you can donate and help. And you can look up provider networks, community resources, speak out. There's stories. You can read the vaccine injury stories. Um, stronger Together, Science and Research, fantastic place. Go check it out. See if it's something that you have the ability to donate a little bit to. If you know somebody who's suffering, who's injured, you can send them there as a resource. Um, so what I find so alarming, among so many other things, is that the billions of dollars that our government has spent to push these shots and not a dime, not a penny was spent um, ensuring that anybody injured is properly supported. It's, you know, it's very concerning. So let's, let's show, uh, you know, them whatever we can support as we try to end these, the use of these shots. We don't want to um, leave the injured behind um, and bring them with us. Okay. So, Let's move on now to some, are we ready to move into the positive? Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So health and healing. Um, Dr. Carver, what are you working on these days or what? where do you want to share? Where can you point our listeners toward what you think is the best thing to be doing right now? I have been focusing on enjoying my family and my personal relationships. I have taken a step back from this because I see at this point, it, it's our relationships with parents and the community that really matters. Um, people are going to be exposed to what they say, what we say, I mean, in different sites online, and they can search out information. But when they hear from a trusted source, some of the things that we're saying, it, it's, it's going to make them search out the truth and, and hopefully pray on it, find out what feels real to them. I think that we need to focus on reaching people within the community, developing strong friendships with parents and getting this word out in, in a different way, because I don't know about you, but I'm not a social media person. The other thing I want to say is that to me, this is very spiritual. Um, you know, this is a great deception for the people who fall into believing the propaganda. 
But I think that anybody who honestly prays about it feels that something is not right. And the fact that they're going after our children and they're attacking the family in three different ways, whether it's with these so-called vaccinations, which we know are going to affect fertility and could be genotoxic, um, whether it's the abortion laws. I mean, the appalling one in California where they can kill an infant after two months after being born. I, I just can't even... I can't even fathom that. And then they're trying to confuse young children about their gender, which means that if they're confused, um, you know, they're, they're limiting their potential to have a normal family environment with a mother and a father and a healthy children. It's to me, it's evil. It, it is good versus evil. And I think that the way to fight evil is by is by turning to God. And, and forming these loving relationships within our communities so that if, if things do, um, it don't turn the direction that we're hoping that we have these wonderful relationships where we can support each other, whether it's, it's with a community garden or maybe somebody has a cow or whatever it comes to be. Uh, we don't need the government to force us into a particular action when we know it's wrong and our religious freedoms are being trampled on. We have other alternatives. And as long as we have those important connections and we're showing love and respect to everybody and we're protecting our children and we're, we're leaning on God, I know that we're going to see this through. And I know I should feel terrified right now, but I, I don't feel fear. I feel nothing but hope. I think the worst thing they could have done is by provoking parents, trying to back them into a corner when it comes to the health of their children, because parents aren't going to stand up for that. Parents will push back. Parents are very protective. Anybody who hears or knows the truth. And for that matter, there are a lot of people politically waking up. A lot of Democrats, when they saw this horrible abortion bill, many of them are saying, whoa, this is just way too far. Or some of the brainwashing that's occurring with uh, the, the gender identity, how, how they, it's inappropriate, it's age inappropriate um, is, is what it is. But there's there's other problems with it on why they're so aggressive with their um, their agenda. But people know that they've been lied to. They were promised, if you get this vaccine, you can go back to normal. Well, guess what? It wasn't. If you wear this mask, you'll stay healthy and we can go back to normal. If you get the vaccine, you don't have to wear the mask. If you get the vaccine, you're done. Oh, wait, now you need a booster. Now you need a second booster. Oh, now you get your freedoms back. Now you don't. Now you don't have to wear a mask. But when do we have to go back to wearing a mask? People see that they've been lied to. Parents see that this has nothing to do with safety or protection. So my biggest advice to people is to reach people within their communities, form the relationships, and pray to God because he's the only one who can see us through this. It is downright evil. And that's all I have to say. But I do feel extremely hopeful. So thank you, Bernadette. Oh, you're welcome. And, and thank you so much. I, I am a firm believer in the in community. I do believe this is a spiritual war on many levels. And, you know, one of the evils of them locking us down and keeping us from each other um, ha, has been that separation. We are social creatures. And, you know, finding that community. And I think a lot of the problems happen because, you know, a lot of life in the United States, we don't have that community. You know, we drive an hour and a half to our job sometimes, and you don't even know the person who lives across the street. So, you know, we have kind of created these dystopian situations that allow this separation of us from our community to happen. And so a silver lining, the COVID chaos, has been rediscovering why community is so important um, and why your faith, whatever that may be, uh, is so very important. Um, yeah, Dr. Gaeta. 
Yeah, I, I'm just, uh, I, I appreciate those words, uh, Don Carver, and, and I'm really um, in very great agreement. I mean, clearly the agenda has been very clearly laid out of a uh, totalitarian, technocratic, world communist, you know, um, society. Uh, and all of these measures um, being very, very specific, specifically designed to keep people unempowered or disempowered. And so I, I really believe, you know, as, as Dr. Carver was saying that in, in, in other, in a, in a different way to say it, that the great awakening will occur, not the great reset. And I think, you know, the, the, the uh, nefarious work of the global oligarchs and technocrats uh, in the World Economic Forum and elsewhere, where this COVID, you know, this, this kind of scamdemic, as it's being called sometime, sometimes, uh, is being used as an excuse to institute uh, a totalitarian world government or whatever you want to call it, and digital currency and the absolute loss of individual freedoms, driving a wedge between children and their parents, which is always like right out of the basic playbook of every totalitarian regime, is to separate children from their parents uh, in some way and get children away from their parents' influence on, under that of the state. You know, the, these are all very, you know, well-worn uh, tactics out of the playbook. And I really want to underline that life wins, you know, whatever you want to call that, God or universal loving intelligence, that that's always what prevails in the end. And I think it's probably going to get a little messier before it gets better. Um, but I, I'm just so uh, extraordinarily, I'm not really hopeful. I just know. It's not really a hope. It's just a knowing that humanity is waking up. And as uh, Dr. Carver said, that there's that the these you know truly uh, horrifying uh, lockdown, quarantine, mask, destroy businesses, you know, all of this has really uh, caused greatest harm to children. But it's also woken people more and more people up that this just doesn't add up. And mm -hmm. so uh, I'm very you know I just have a knowing that in, in my bones, in my heart, and also looking at human history, uh, when totalitarian regimes have, you know, uh, unfurled their plans and sought to institute tyranny you know, at a, a local or national or global level, it's always failed. And there are factors at work that, you know, none of us can fully understand. But I, what I'm reminded of every day is to have greater faith in the light, because this is this is, you know, a war in heaven manifest in the earth between good and evil, between light and dark. And I need to check myself, and I do check myself every day. Do I have more faith in darkness, or do I have more faith in light? Mm -hmm. And it's hard when you look at Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates and Tony Fauci and all the other bad players on the scene. Um, it can look really bleak. Like, wait a minute, they have the money, they have the power, they have the media, they control medicine, the practice of medicine, um, they have public health, they have the schools, the educational system. Oh boy, I'm just little old me. 
and it can seem bleak. I've, I've known, you know, I've lost, I've had a number of sleepless nights with thoughts like that, like, geez, you know, what, can I, what can I do? And then I realize, you know, uh, one with life or whatever word you want to use with a capital L, one with life is a majority that there, there is a power afoot in the world, There's a rising tide of life that is coming through people, which nothing can turn aside. You know, in, in, the, in the early, you know, in the late 1930s, early 1940s, it looked like Hitler was unstoppable. And, you know, Hitler was going to take over the world. He had friends in Japan. And it looked like, you know, humanity was toast, is what it looked like. And life worked it out. You know, Hitler made a strategic error with Russia, and the United States entered the entered the war. Um, but life worked it out that global tyranny didn't happen. And I don't know exactly how it's all going to play out, but I do know the end is sure. Uh, and I do know that light, life and light always, without exception, throughout all of human history, prevails against darkness and tyranny. And so that's, it's not a hope, it's not a wish, it's a knowing that that is always uh, what happens. And I guess my, my greatest desire for people is that they remember how big they are, to remember the largeness of who they are, uh, mm -hmm. to remember the greatness of why we came into the world, and to remember the enormity of our power to create. And uh, as people remember these things and have greater faith in light than darkness, there's, you know, there, it's just, uh, it, it changes our whole experience individually. Mm -hmm. And then as our individual experience changes, and that becomes our collective experience. So I think we do need to keep telling the truth and call out the nonsense, call out the lies, uh, expose the corruption that yeah. really needs to happen. Um, and at a horizontal level and at a vertical level, you know, our connection to what's higher is, is always, you know, changes our experience. And then uh, as we change individually, it automatically changes our collective experience. So, uh, so the dawn is coming uh, despite, you know, and, and again, the night is always darkest just before the dawn. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I, I'm very, um, you know, I, I walk with greater joy and knowing uh, than, than I have in the past. And I think we can all, you know, find uh, power in that. I, I, I love that. Um, you reminded me of Dr. Robert Malone's Substack post today is Friday Funnies. Here's what he, he searches for, you know, things to yeah. put a little humor in all this. And I really loved this one. Um, are you seeing this? Not yet. Uh, not yet. Let's see. I, not yet. Sit. There we go. Did you seen? We are fighting a trillion dollar propaganda machine <laughs> with memes. <laughs> And it's working. With memes. Yeah. And it's working. So and I it's a, working. Yeah. I have a quick question for Dr. Gaeta. So are you busier now or were you busier before? Before and after what? So before COVID, were you busy? Are you busier now after with, with, with all this stuff going on? Oh, much busier now, for sure. Uh, because, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, teach, I'm doing a, a, I've been doing a show for two years every Monday. 
Um, and just a lot of people, you know, my, my um, kind of uh, day job, if you would, so to speak, is training other health professionals, functional medicine and, you know, such. But now there's so many folks of the public who are like, you know, what, what can we do? You know, what's the perspective and then what's the solution? So, yeah, I, I you know, uh, like many of us, you know, uh, I, I would love to have a few lifetimes to, to do all the things I'd love to do. Uh, but I, I will say, you know, despite the busyness, um, I think there's a greater sense of joy, I would say, which seems which sounds weird because children are, you know, children and adults are being murdered uh, by the medical system. Um, but, you know, the, the, there's a greater sense of joy and lightness in myself uh, that has really uh, characterizing my days. And, uh, and so, um, you know, there's a lot to do um, and it, it happens easier and better and more joyfully if we have a greater faith in light, which we are and which we came to represent than in the outer world darkness of, you know, global communism and world tyranny. Uh, there's just a, a greater sense of lightness now. Yes, I, I love that so much, lightness. I, I had never heard it put quite the way you did a little earlier there, of you, believing that light is more powerful than the darkness. Oh, always. Just, yeah. Um, I've always been a hopeless optimist, Pollyanna, you know, seeing the silver lining in things. And, you know, I'm very, um, I'm hopeful like Dr. Carver. And I, I think I know, I don't, I've never put it in terms of knowing. What do you think, Dr. Carver? Do you think after hearing um, Dr. Gaeta speak here that maybe you know, or are you still feeling hope? <laughs> no, I, I think faith leads to hope and right. hope leads to knowing. Yep. Yeah. yeah amen. And all of that replaces fear completely. Mm -hmm. I feel a um, lot of peace. Yeah, you know, and... I just, I remember at the beginning of this because living in Washington state, I was out in a County where, you know, um, things weren't enforced, but I would often be the only one at Fred Meyer or at Lowe's or something without a mask on. And I brought the managers of all the stores I visited. I, I brought them 20, 25 page, you know, in, here's all the study of science is in the beginning. It was on flu masks and all this stuff and they don't work. And, you know, all of that. And they were all very respectful, but I would have people come up to me and they were, they were so afraid. How, how do you do it? How do you walk in here without mm -hmm. a mask? And I'm like, I just do it. Mm -hmm. And I find it very liberating and empowering. Um, sometimes I had, I would have, especially in the beginning, especially when everybody was wearing them and I was like the only one not I had music in my ear that was like, you know, it was, it was strut music, you know, <laughs> believe in yourself music. And, and when you stand in your truth and you live that truth, it feels so good, mm -hmm. you know, to not be in fear. And, and I hope that I'm still open-minded you know, that I'm still open to listening to other points of view that I'm, I'm confident, but hopefully not cocky that I'm, you know, I, I try to be that way, but I just encourage people who have been living in fear. And, and I, I do become concerned that our side puts as much fear on people as the other side. Mm. Right. 
So, and, and the conversation. And so here we are already like five minutes to the show ending. And I've been trying to get us to the positive side of the conversation. And we, we are there. We have been there for at least 10 minutes. <laughs> um, it can be consuming because the darkness is scary and you get that flight or fight mode going in. It gets the adrenaline pumping. It's, it's survival mode that we kick into. So it does sometimes take that stepping back and to consciously decide not to be afraid. And until it becomes part of who you are, um, it, it can take some effort to get there. Yeah. yeah. And I would just add, Bernadette, I, I think you know, courage is not the absence of fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, courage is, is, is right action despite the presence of fear. And so I can, you know, I can have concerns about my kids and, you know, will will their mom, you know, we've been divorced five years, will their mom take them to get vaccinated, you know, and all of this. Um, So I can feel that, um, but I still need to take action in what I can do. Mm -hmm. And I do believe, because I think people finding their backbone and their, their faith in light, but also, you know, hope comes of participation and hopeful solutions, as an old teacher of mine used to say. Um, and I, I do believe that one of the greatest qualities needed by people today is courage. I think courage is, you know, one of those essential qualities that makes all the other qualities of character possible. Um, because it's, you know, as I like to tell the kids, you know, my, my kids, I said, look, you know, uh, if you're not weird, you're screwed. because the status quo is such a matter right and it takes courage to you know not go with the flow yes what everybody else is saying so i think you know faith in light right god wins always uh whatever words you want to use to describe that higher power uh and uh the quality needed by each of us and this show is an example of that it takes courage to say stuff that is counter to the standard narrative. Uh, That courage, you know, is really essential for us today. Uh, You know, I fly around and teach, you know, seminars for practitioners. And I was in the airport. I said, you know what, I'm just going to, this is in the middle of the mass craziness. And Denver Airport is just an insane place. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to see how far I can go and not wear a mask. And so I walked into the airport. I figured I would make it maybe seven seconds before an airline employee would come at me and say, sir, 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 put your mask on, sir. And, uh, and I was like, you know, I'm just going to see how far I got. I expected maybe 30 seconds. I got through the entire airport and security on the flight, off on the other side, out on the other end of the airport, on the other airport, and no mask. Wow. Yeah. What airline was that? <laughs> frontier. And that would never, I mean, yeah, now they've been lifted. But as of like a month or two ago, that would never happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I usually fly United and they were, you know, the mass Nazis, so to speak, or the mass police, uh, really bad. Um, and, uh, but anyway, it took, and I just was walking through the airport and all these people wearing diapers on their faces, just looking at me a little weird. And it's like, it, it was like, is that possible? Like, can that happen? Can you just do it? And it's just like you said, Bernadette, you just had to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So 
Uh, we are so much more powerful than we realize. Mm -hmm. um, and remembering that, that the, the power in this world is not Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and Bill Gates and the Tony Fauci and the CDC and the FDA and, you know, our, our current, you know, disastrous you know, presidential administration. That's not the power in this world. Um, so anyway, that, that's uh, it, it's amazing what happens when we yeah. have the courage to act. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Dr. Carver, your last words here. I was just thinking about that. I, I make it a point to smile at people wearing a mask. I went and stood behind this young woman in line and I asked her, how's your Easter going? And she, she was wearing a mask and she got uncomfortable and went to a different lane. I thought, you know what? I think she needed to evaluate why she would feel so uncomfortable with a stranger just opening up a polite conversation with yeah. her. So I get it. Yes, we are definitely powerful. And I, I feel that I, you know, the more people you smile at wearing a mask, the more they're going to realize, why am I so programmed to be afraid of strangers? Yeah. yeah. We need that human connection. And that's been taken from us. And I'd like to see us take it back. I love yeah. that. Javier? Oh. Nothing. And thank you. This has been great. <laughs> it has been a great two hours with Dr. Carver, Dr. Gaeta, Javier, and Bernadette. We're going to say ta-ta for now. Thank you for being with us. You've been listening to An Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. We'll be back next week. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at healthyimmunitynow.org. That's healthyimmunitynow.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. 
Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.